Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Fair Data Podcast, where we discuss all things fair, making data findable, accessible, interoperable, and reusable. I'm Rory McNeil, host of the Fair Data Podcast, and my guest today is Wind Coles, Director of Research Data and Open Scholarship at Princeton. Wind, welcome. It's great to have you on the podcast. Great. Thank you. It's great to be here, Rory. So it's always interesting to hear about the, the route that led guests to become involved with research data management. Your first career, if I can call it that, was actually in cognitive science and linguistics. So tell us a bit about that. Oh, sure. Yeah. So uh, so I started uh, down this path through being a researcher. So after my PhD in cognitive science and linguistics and a brief uh, postdoc uh, in an experimental psychology lab, I ended up as a faculty member at the University of Florida. Uh, so I ran a research lab for 10 years. I taught classes. I mentored students. And through all of that, really had kind of an on-the-ground view of the challenges for doing things like sharing data, publishing openly, all of these things that have always been really near and dear to my heart. And so in terms of understanding how researchers, you know, the pressures that face us as researchers as we try to do things like share data, uh, I feel like I have a very good understanding of the challenges there. Um, but I loved what I did. I loved I loved the mentorship. I loved thinking about how do we advance scholarship and research. Uh, and so my role here is really I'm not I'm no longer doing you know how people process language in the brain, which is really the focus of my of my research. Uh, but now thinking more globally about how do we share the data that all of us create in the different institutions we work in. Yeah, so that's interesting. Just picking up on one of the one of the things that you were alluding to there, the mentorship, it sounds like, because I'm always interested in, you know, people people often have data and then they, data as a topic of research, but then they kind of begin to focus as much on the data as on, as on other things. And I'm just, I'm just kind of guessing from your, from your reference to mentorship and sharing that maybe one of the other aspects of your, of your work as a, as a researcher that's carried over is this notion of sharing and mentorship, and there's a there's a group, or there's a cultural aspect to data as well as a as well as kind of a hard data aspect. Is that was that something? Is that right? Yeah, I think that's really fair. I mean, I think when you're we're really influenced as researchers by the teams that we work with as students, right? So we tend to adopt the practices of uh, of the of our mentors, of our the PI. If you work in a lab context, and so that can be so crucial in thinking about how people come to think about what the value of their data might be and, and how they share it. When I was a graduate student in the 90s, uh, it was very much a, a culture of, and, and I should say in linguistics, there's a long history of, of using secondary data sources you know, and sharing data and, and being willing to share corpora, share, share uh, large uh, uh, data sets of, of just, you know, human language, human speech. Uh, and yet there was not necessarily a, a, a cultural uh, organization around this, right? So it was, you know, you would reach out to an individual researcher and say, hey, can I, you publish this interesting paper, would you mind sharing the data with me? Or I know you work on this particular language or with this particular kind of community of speakers, you know, do you mind if, if, um, if I use some of the, the data that you've collected? And so I think that one thing that's been really nice to see is, is 
having data communities grow up and become more accessible to people when they aren't necessarily comfortable reaching out individually to uh, a different research group. Um, but yeah, I think we're hugely impacted by by the context that we sort of come of age uh, in our research careers. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm actually not that familiar with linguistics, but it, it sounds from what from what you describe as if linguistics is maybe somewhere in the middle of the spectrum. If you take biology as as a classically a a relatively you know small group oriented, not not really sharing culture, or something like physics or astronomy at the other end of the spectrum where it's all big data and they they just share. share uh, sharing at scale is built into their whole their whole workflows. And it sounds like linguistics was was somewhere in the middle or shared both those characteristics. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. And and in my own career, I sort of I I, I moved between two worlds. So you know, linguistics proper is is sort of in the humanities, right? A lot of the research and scholarship has a humanities approach. Uh, but I also worked in in, neuro, in neuroscience and in biology. And so kind of shifting between those two worlds, it was interesting to see the different approaches to data stewardship and ownership and, and pain points around working with data and conceptualizing it. Yeah. Okay. So, so interesting. It all, it all makes, all makes perfect sense in terms of the, of the transition. So, um, so let's jump ahead uh, into the current work you're doing as, as um, in, in terms of, 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 of open data uh, and research data services at Princeton. So from an organizational perspective, and that, that's always important, how does the research data service fit into the overall provision of, of research support in, and, and IT infrastructure at Princeton? Yeah, it's a great question. So I should say that the Princeton Research Data Service started about three years ago. I was actually the inaugural director of it. Uh, and it started from the beginning as a collaboration between uh, our Dean for Research our university librarian and our chief information officer, the three of them had been talking together about the need for um, research data stewardship, open data support for, for researchers at Princeton and recognized that this was something that was uh, a good opportunity to partner together with. And so uh, from the beginning, uh, it has been a collaboration. So I'm formally within the library, as is the Princeton Research Data Service, but we have strong connections both to our uh, campus information office, as well as uh, our IT, campus IT, as well as our Dean for Research office. And that's been really invaluable in both being able to engage with researchers directly, both graduate students as well as faculty, um, and do the kinds of projects together that are bigger than any one part of this, this partnership. Interesting. So, yeah. So, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say too, so situating within the library. So my por portfolio, if I can use that term, includes not just, my role has expanded since I came to Princeton and now includes open scholarship more broadly. So um, my group is sort of broadly concerned with open scholarship, so open access, open publishing, uh, as well as open data. And there's been some really good synergy there too, uh, even within the library. Interesting. So uh, I, we'll get onto research computing in, in a minute, which is obviously crucial to what you're doing. But it, uh, one thing I find is the, um, uh, be interesting to get your, your observations on, on the CIO. How does, how do you, how would you describe your CIO's perspective on, on even more broadly research computing and research services 
because in some institutions the CIO seems to view that as a as a priority or pretty important. In others, it's still it's still something that's out there, but it's not necessarily the core of what they see themselves doing. So where where does where does Princeton fall on, on that spectrum? Yeah, it's a great question. I would say so. I should say research computing does fall within um, within our campus IT organization. In some places, it can be separate um, or grouped within in other ways. Uh, I would say it's really a crucial. It's seen as and is a crucial part of the the support that we provide for our researchers to do groundbreaking, cutting edge research. And so, you know, it, it is a it's a robust program. It's well supported. And is well positioned to sort of do this the kind of next big thing, whatever that, whatever that might be. And right now we're working together on more effective research data stewardship. Okay. So what what do some of the stewardship initiatives involve? Yeah, so we we're partnering with research computing on a new project that we call Tiger Data, which I'm happy to talk more about. Um, before I turn to that, though, I will mention that you know within the library as well, we've got a robust development team, and that is also and which is itself quite collaborative and has been working with other groups, and so that has enabled us to also be starting to think more strategically and innovatively around what does an open data repository look like in terms of its services associated with in terms of the infrastructure. And so the timing was just really perfect to start thinking bigger with research computing about not just at the end of a project, where does the data go? How does it, how do we engage in long-term stewardship of that data? But even during the project, uh, engaging with researchers really from the beginning uh, of their research life cycle. So are you thinking about, I know in in um, especially in especially in I think in Holland and and Germany uh, there's a big big move to embedding um, domain uh, d- data stores with domain knowledge directly into either either departments or and or projects uh, is that is that something which you're thinking about as well or yeah yeah and I think that, so maybe it's a good time to say a little bit about about Tiger Data so this yes. is something. Yeah, yeah. So um, Kurt Hilligus, who's our head of research computing, came to me literally my first week at Princeton and said, welcome, <laughs> welcome to Princeton. I've got this um, project that I'm hoping that you would be interested in, in working with me on. Um, and so, you know, at that moment, you know, I had a lot, a lot of other things that I needed to be working on, but uh, that seed was planted and we'd kept the conversation going. Um and it didn't really take off as a project until maybe about a year ago, maybe a year and a half. Um, but the idea was Kurt had seen that, you know, we're need, we need more storage. We need, uh, you know, we have ever expanding research data sizes. Uh, but what we also don't need is just to have a bigger bucket where data gets lost. We need effective data stewardship in addition to having effective data storage. And so, we started talking about what that might look like. I think we, and we both recognized that it wouldn't just be a technical solution. It needed to have a human component to it. And that's where this idea of data managers comes in. You know, we're, we're a small team within the Princeton Research Data Service. Uh, research computing is also relatively small. You know, we can't, we can't have that kind of embedded uh, data steward or data manager within each team. But what we can do is build a community of practice through 
you know, strong communication, strong community building, education, so that within each of our departments, within each of our research groups, we know who is responsible for managing the data in that group and really work with them and support them, give them the tools that they need, give them the, the, um, the community that they need to feel like they can be uh, good and, and empowered to do the work that they need to do. Um, so we're taking a kind of distributed data manager approach by building a community of practice, but recognizing that we needed to do that in addition to building technical infrastructure, providing those tools, uh, I think was really crucial. Yeah, great. Well, so Tiger Data. So yeah, um, so I've, I've just got this uh, off the website. Your website, it says, uh, uh, exciting project to put in place a comprehensive system that provides scalable storage infrastructure wrapped in services that engage with the entire life cycle, as you were saying, the entire life cycle of a research project. So, what can you can you unpack that a bit? So, what what does this what does this look like in practice from a from an infrastructure or from a, a point of view? What 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 infrastructure are you using? What tools are you using? What 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 does it look like from a you know kind of concrete perspective? Yeah. So I'd say. Um... The goal for, for the project from a data storage perspective is to be able to have a heterogeneous set of storage options um, to recognize that different kinds of data, again, and this is the challenge that we're dealing with, not just biomedical data or not just you know, astronomical data, uh, but really data from, you know, including from the humanities, data of, of all kinds, all shapes and sizes, and recognizing that the data is going to need different kinds of storage options, both based on the kind of data that it might be, the kind of size or complexity of it, but also where it is in a project. And so the idea was that we would have a a heterogeneous storage layer, basically. uh, But when we do that, we need to also provide a way for researchers to know where their data is in that infrastructure. So the idea was that they wouldn't have to worry about whether their data was on-premises, whether it was in the cloud, whether it was, you know, on this kind of storage infrastructure or that kind of infrastructure, you know, unless they were coding in a way that they they needed to know that. But the idea is that we'd have a presentation layer that would allow them to access and and work with the data, um, but allow us to manage it kind of behind the scenes. So that's part of it. Uh, but then sort of what you, what you get as, as part of that is the ability to manage the data uh, as well as the storage. And so the idea is that we have, uh, and we're actually working on a a custom interface for this part for for metadata management, basically. The idea is that when when a researcher starts a new project in the system, they get provisioned with a certain amount of space that makes sense for their project. It gets put in, you know, on the kind of storage that they need. Uh, and then we start from that moment collecting metadata from them, you know, initially basic discovery metadata, things that will help us at the end of the project to then either publish it openly if we can, or to put it into some long-term archival state where uh, the researchers themselves or other folks at Princeton could uh, find it and reuse it internally. And then over the course of the project, working with the researchers to understand and the data managers to understand what kinds of additional metadata would be necessary or useful for reuse. Mm. Um, and that's the part of the project where I think it's important to, to recognize that the research, researchers are sitting with the data. They, they are the experts in it. They know what they need to know about the data. Mm. 
And so to kind of to leverage that, but recognize that we're probably going to end up with a set of core metadata that's you know, required of every project, and then working to figure out what can we extract automatically, what do we need somebody to, to, to hand code um, in some cases, but then we keep that data as well, the metadata as well. Oh, that's all really interesting. And are you, so you're building most of this yourself? Are you, are, how, are you incorporating uh, other things which exist, like uh, making use of, of uh, repositories like Figshare or Dataverse or Zenodo or things like that, or, or, or are they not relevant to what you're doing? They, they are, they are, um, and thinking about the end of the project. So, you know, not every research project has data that can be openly published or openly shared um, and, and recognizing that we need to be realistic about that. But that doesn't mean that the data, that that data shouldn't also be um, curated and archived uh, where it can be. So that's the internal archive. But, but I think what you're thinking about is, is the public sharing of it. And that's the part that I'm really excited about. So this partnership will allow us to easily uh, publish new data sets. Now, we run a, a data repository for Princeton, an institutional data repository, uh, and we're members of the Data Curation Network. We um, curate the data that goes into that, into that repository. But we also work with researchers who want to publish their data elsewhere or release it elsewhere, you know, recognizing that data communities exist all over and we want to make sure that that researchers, that their data ends up where it will be discovered and reused, right? And that that might not be with us. But the idea of having of having Tiger data is that because we're engaging with researchers during the active phase of their of their research, we are able to then work with them early on to figure out like is this data is this data shareable you know can we publish it openly and where should we publish it and when it makes sense for it to come to us in in our own repository then we've got a really easy path right so one of the things that i i encounter all the time with researchers even when they're very interested in sharing their data or they need to is they often underestimate the amount of time that it takes at the end of a project to prepare the data, right? To have it be ready. Um, if they haven't been doing certain things all along. And so this is offering an opportunity for us to kind of get ahead of things so that they, when they do get to the end of the project, ideally it's almost entirely ready or it's very close to being ready to simply move to. And it might be Zenodo, it might be um, our own repository, it might be Dataverse, you know, maybe Dryad. Uh, but this this way we've, we've got a, a, a fair data set uh, ready to share to whichever repository makes sense. Hmm. Interesting. And you you mentioned um, you mentioned the early on in the process and and what some of the things you were talking about also sounded like they're relevant to to data management plans and data management planning. So how does how does how does that fit into this this um, system that you're you're developing? Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. I think this is where the 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 collaboration, not just between research computing and our, our campus IT office and the library comes into play, but also with our Dean for Research and the, the Office of the Dean for Research. Uh, at Princeton, that is where our Office of Sponsored Research uh, sits. Um, and so we also have a very good partnership with them around things like ORCID uh, and the use of ORCID and data management planning. Um, and so 
at some point in the future, this probably would not be in the in the first phase. But the goal is is as you allude to, having um, data management plans also uh, consulted, created as a living document at the beginnings of projects. Obviously, if you have funding from U.S. federal sources, you you know often are required to have a data management plan. Mm. Um, it's always a good idea, and so this will. The plan would be ultimately to to have a, a data management plan either from the funding what went along into the application from the for the funding source, or um, to develop one from a more uh, neutral template uh, that researchers that would enable them to have a kind of roadmap or blueprint for how to work with the data over the course of the project. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So, um, I'm I'm I guess I'm, maybe it sounds like possibly this this project was conceived by by Kurt and others maybe before before you got involved. But um, but but I'm sure you I'm sure you can also shed some light. What was it? What was from a kind of university point of view? What was the the impetus to uh, to to Tiger Data and and do, did do you know or were you involved in any? Any benchmarking with what others were doing in in the U.S. and in Europe and elsewhere, or do you, can you tell us a bit about kind of the the background? Yeah, yeah. So I think the impetus really did come from looking ahead at, at the kinds of uh, the sizes of the data sets that our researchers are working with, and realizing that we were going to run out of space. And so rather than um, and, and, and that this was a, a strategic moment for us to not just add more storage, you know, add more racks, but to really think about what would serve the university best in the long term, right? Mm-hmm. Both to continue to have our researchers engage in, in transformative research, but also to ensure the long-term value of the data that they produce. And so... You know, I think we all who anyone who's worked, you know, with researchers or in this environment, you know, have stories of, you know, data that is huge, but then isn't touched for two years, right? Or longer. And so thinking about, you know, what could we do both to um, to increase the capacity uh, for our researchers, but also then ensure that um, that the data they were creating didn't go dark, right? That it didn't just sit um, until a point where it could no longer be reusable. So I think that that was really the initial impetus. And I, um, I'm really grateful to, um, to Jay Dominic, who is our, our CIO, as well as to Kurt, um, for being open to and, and, and enthusiastic partners in this idea that it requires uh, expertise and skill and people and and work to to do that right that it's not just you know building more and bigger so so yeah we you know I think we did look at some other institutions I think the difference for us is really about the scale of it um, and, and the heterogeneity of the data that we're working with of course there are folks who are doing things like this really good work at um, on, you know, for for particular kinds of data, and so for us, because we're we're really wanting to take in data from anywhere in the university uh, research community, that that adjusts how we have to approach it. We can't really build specialized pipelines for data management um, of a particular kind of data, or we can, but that will be one small pipeline 
in a much bigger system. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah, a couple of resonates with me in a couple of different ways, but um, Mm -hmm. um, so, so it was, so it was actually, it was data. It's interesting. So it was data storage driven or, or kind of, that was the, the, the original thought, but then of course you've, as you say, the, uh, if it's just a storage solution, then that actually is a pretty, uh, pretty dry solution. It doesn't really allow, it's not very dynamic, but then you've layered on the, the data and the services slash stewardship as, as important elements of it, it sounds like, which is, so it's more of a holistic perspective. Yeah, exactly. And that lets us not just sort of uh, uh, push the problem out for, for another 10 years, right? The idea is that uh, we won't, we'll be able to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? We'll, we'll be able to, to sort of see ahead and be strategic about how we add new data uh, storage options in the future, because we won't sort of have to just be staying ahead from a physical storage perspective. We'll have, um, we'll have this data management process in place. Right. So another thing which was, think, it was going through my mind as you were, as you were speaking was, um, it, it's, you're talking about different domains have different workflows and different needs and different kinds of data and all that. And also I think something which has really been uh, coming up frequently for me recently is, is kind of general experimental data, general experimental data, experimental data of a general nature, which can go into a generalist repository like the ones we were mentioning, as mm-hmm. opposed to there's a there's often I think a tension between that that workflow those the people who deal with that and then the domain specific um, uh, approaches where if you're if you're doing sequencing data at the end of the day it's it's there's got to be very specific metadata about a very specific kind of sample that needs to go in GenBank full stop and so and you need both. So have you, and, and typically institutions, they aren't, they don't provide that. That's not what they're, that's not what they're all about, but they, they need to at least make sure that what they're doing doesn't hinder their researchers from doing that as well as the kind of stuff you're doing. So how do you see the, the kind of domain specific data flows and repositories fitting in with the, uh, as you say, that kind of the broad church approach, which you're, you're adopting at an institutional level? Yeah, I think that the key will be for us to to build a to build at a high level a system that's adaptable and that can can as you say not kind of get in the not get in the way of of the more domain specific needs for uh, particular kinds of metadata and and different kinds of metadata collection. So the approach that we're planning to take is is again to start at this kind of high level. What is the very minimal set of of metadata information that we need just for discovery and then to work with the researchers. Our plan is to actually work with a small set of early adopters for Tiger data, uh, ideally drawn from different kinds of research uh, backgrounds, research areas, uh, in order to get a sense for where are the specific needs for our researchers in specific domains? So as you say, like we've got, um, you know, we've got researchers who work in genomics, you know, talking to them about what they are already doing, how the system that we're implementing might work with what they're already doing uh, or not, right? Um, but ideally, ideally, they would work together and we might actually be able to help them smooth out the process that they have, both by working with them, but also because we're a centralized service, 
We'll be able to see other research labs, other workflows, and maybe in related disciplines or in the same discipline and look for commonalities. What can we build you know, for a whole discipline um, that enables the kind of workflows that they know that they need? Yeah, fantastic. Um, so can you give us a sense of how, how, um, how things are going, kind of what, what's the current status and, and what's, uh, what's next, what's coming next? Yeah, yeah, we're we're in early days. Um, so we're working right now actually on on staffing. Um, we were very fortunate to have the support of our our provost office, both for uh, the equipment and infrastructure that we'll need to purchase, as well as um, to add new staff uh, to support the project. We're also in the process this summer of of starting up implementing our the governance model that we've developed. Um, I should say that. This project involved over 30 people over the last 18 months in different ways from different from all different parts of campus and having all different kinds of roles. And so, and that was really important. It was really crucial. As, as you alluded to, this idea that, um, you know, different, even being aware of how different, different approaches to collecting data versus using secondary data uh, can have a real impact on the design of a system. So having all of those voices in the room, voices from researchers from different perspectives, from different parts, it created challenges in terms of uh, shared vocabulary, uh, shared conceptual uh, mm-hmm. ideas. Um, so we did a lot of community building within the group to sort of make sure that we were all talking the same language. Um, but once we did that, um, we were able to to put together the the project plan that we have, including a governance model that includes folks from those different groups, as well as faculty, um, having uh, having it be faculty driven, right, so that we know directly from them what's working, what's not working. So we're implementing that now. We're in the process of, of hiring staff, and we're purchasing the technical infrastructure that we need. So uh, the plan, optimistically, um, we're hoping to to start working with our early adopters uh, by the end of this year. Great. Well, sounds good. So I, I know you presented uh, the project at last year's EduCause, and and doubtless you also have you had conversations to start there, and doubtless elsewhere with your counterparts at other institutions. So what's what's the reaction been? Are others thinking about doing similar things, or or taking a different approach, or and are there any examples of of others that other institutions, whether the same or different, that you think are particularly relevant or noteworthy? Yeah. So as I've I've been talking with um, my counterparts and in other institutions, I think you know there's a sense of um, of interest in this. I will say that um, I think the main the main take home message that I've gotten in terms of of reactions from others has really been excitement around the the potential for collaborations like this in general. You know, each institution has different needs, has different goals, is at a different point. Um, but I think the the real kind of heart of, of what we're doing is is the nature of the collaboration between research computing and the library and research data services. Um, and so that's actually been the the focus of a lot of the conversations I've had is how to how to get to that if you don't have it already. And, and what's possible when you have um, strong communication lines, uh, a collaborative approach to implementing services across those kinds of divides. Um, yeah, and it's absolutely. been really heartening. Uh, yeah. Has it? Good. 
Yeah, that's certainly one that um, witnessed our recent uh, RDA session that we had. I know that's a that's a really interesting aspect of what's happening at uh, UCL is the uh, again is the deep deep kind of uh, interactivity between research computing and and research services. And I agree that to me that's if you don't have that that foundation, it's difficult to really see how how things can move forward. And once you've got that foundation in place, then there are probably different different routes which people could take, but uh, but they could all be productive. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so final final question, um, coming back to the the the, uh, the title of our podcast here, uh, but also we've kind of touched on it in in various ways. But it'd be interesting to get your your kind of considered or high level thoughts on it. So as as you think about putting in place this research data ecosystem that we've been discussing, how does FAIR and, and FAIR data fit into your thinking? Yeah, it really is at the heart of, of all of the different kinds of planning that I've been doing. Um, so if we think about you know findable, accessible, interoperable, and reusable, they all involve working together as a community, I think. Um, I would say the particular challenge is interoperable, um, at least from my perspective. I think partly it's the diversity of the data and the metadata is a particular challenge here. Um, but that said, you know, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is how do we build, how to, how to put this, thinking, of, thinking through repositories, thinking through open data repositories, how how do we build an ecosystem of repositories where they can exchange information with each other in a way. So one of the things I'm really interested in actually is implementing um, a means for, at least for Princeton to start with. So regardless of where the data is, having a single point of entry to finding it, right? So so researchers, data communities exist all, exist all over uh, and, and research produced by Princeton will exist all over. You shouldn't have to, as someone who's interested in reusing that data, know the 15, 30 different repositories that Princeton faculty typically use when they publish their data. So thinking through the, the findable and accessible piece there, how do we, how do we open up um, and make it easier to find data regardless of where it actually sits? Um, but that speaks to interoperability as well. So that's, that's another kind of project that we've been thinking about um, how to have a, a kind of central portal, if you will, into data produced yeah, that's by really Princeton. Interesting. And, and presumably PIDs also come into that. I mean, ROARs mm-hmm. or and ORCIDs and, and things like that will help with um, cross-repository cross discoverability uh, as well as cross-institutional um, discoverability. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, well yeah. Yeah, I, I would say I was going to say thinking about um, reusability too. The other thing that we've been thinking about is reusable by whom, and and uh, you know, for researchers who are working with really large or complex, computationally expensive kinds of data sets, what does it mean to share that data, share that uh, code? Uh, how do we increase the real reuse potential of the data? Um, do we need to require people to download it? Can they, you know, work with it in situ? How do we, do they need particular kinds of tools? Um, do we provide, can we provide those tools? You know, trying to move past the idea that you're just downloading a, a tar file, right? That that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So we've been thinking about as we de- as we develop both Tiger data and make improvements to our own data repository, thinking through those kinds of challenges. How do we how do we make the data more more reusable? Wow. My mind is uh, spinning. Uh, <laughs> lots of good food for thought. So, well, thank you so much for that uh, fascinating and, and inspiring conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Great. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. The Fair Data Podcast is provided by fairdatapodcast.org and produced by Maroz Ahmed. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, and follow us on Twitter at Fair Data Podcast. New episodes are released every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. UK, 5 p.m. Central European Time, and late in Asia Pacific. See you then.